Welcome to the Trinity Church Aberdeen podcast, where you can listen to our most recent sermons. To find out more about who we are and what we believe, visit trinityaberdeen.org.uk. Please uh, pick up your Bibles. We're going to have two readings uh, this evening. First reading is Psalm 119. That's page 516 in uh, the Black Bibles, or if you've got a large print, that's 611. If you don't know Psalm 119, it's a, a glorious psalm speaking of God's words. And a psalmist who rejoices in God's word. So we're going to read Psalm 119, right at the end of the psalm. Psalm 100, uh, verses 161 to 176. Let's listen to God's words to us. Princes persecute me without cause. But my heart stands in awe of your words. I rejoice at your word like one who finds great spoil. I hate and abhor falsehood, but I love your law. Seven times a day I praise you for your righteous rules. Great peace have those who love your law. Nothing can make them stumble. I hope for your salvation, O Lord, and I do your commandments. My soul keeps your testimonies. I love them exceedingly. I keep your precepts and testimonies for all my ways are before you. Let my cry come before you, O Lord. Give me understanding according to your words. Let my plea come before you. Deliver me according to your words. My lips will pour forth praise, for you teach me your statutes. My tongue will sing of your word, for, you, for all your commandments are right. Let your hand be ready to help me, for I have chosen your precepts. I long for your salvation, O Lord, and your law is my delight. Let my soul live and praise you, and let your rules help me. I have gone astray like a lost sheep. Seek your servant. For I do not forget your commandments. Second Peter chapter 1 verse 16, that's found on page uh, 1018, 1018, or in the large print, 1207. Two Peter chapter 1, starting at verse 16. For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, For we were with him on the holy mountain. And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed 
to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. That's what we looked at this morning. We've sung of it again this evening, that great reminder that Jesus Christ will one day return, riding on the clouds to make all things new. And as we return to this book of Second Peter this evening, we have that before us again. Jesus is coming. If you weren't able to be with us this morning, you can turn after the service. Look at the beginning of chapter 3. You'll see there the accusation. Peter's writing to these churches because in their situation, there's people teaching in churches all around them saying, no, 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 Jesus isn't coming. And he writes to say, no, Jesus is coming. So this evening again, we we get our our iCals out. We get our Google calendars. And it right on the, if you like, the the Google calendar, the, the iCal... This world has one. God has given this world a calendar. And right there fixed, one day in the future, although we don't know when, there is a date that Christ will return. And that day is more sure than anything you have in your diary for this week. Jesus is coming. Now this morning we looked very briefly. We thought about how do we prepare for that. We'll visit that again next Sunday as well. How do we get ready for that day because of that day? What does it mean for today? And what did we see? We see we needed to receive Christ and to pursue holiness. That is the preparation. That is how Peter says this is how we live in light of Christ's return. But this evening then, we come to a second question. We've sung of it. We've had wonderful hymns to help us with this, our reading. It is all about God's word because the question before us this evening is, can we be sure? Can we be sure? Can we really know that written into the the, the diary, the calendar of this world, and in all our diaries, is the day of Christ's return? Can we be sure? Do we know that Jesus really is coming back to make all things new? Now, as we come to this question this evening, and it's the question that Peter addresses, it is worth bearing in mind that that everyone has a view of the end times. Everyone has a view of the end times. Everyone, if you like, has an eschatology. Not just people of other faiths, but people of no faith. Everyone lives thinking we know what will happen in the end. We just need to look at how we spend our money. We need to look at how we spend our time. These things and many others, they reveal what we think will happen at the end. Today, most people, I think many people that that we meet, think that that nothing will happen in the end, that life just finishes when our bodies die, when our bodies fail. I think that's how often people live. It's what they think, isn't it? However, I think there's a bit of confusion there because often with people... They, they live that way, they might think that way, but it's not how often they feel because they want wrongs to be righted. People have a sense of justice, of right and wrong. We all want things to be made right. And of course, only Jesus can do that. 
And in this book, there's false teachers, and they have an end, uh, a view of the end. They have an eschatology, and they say there's no judgment. Jesus isn't coming. And so, you know, what I want to encourage you with this evening is it, it is a great way as we speak to people about our faith. It's a great way in. Peter here, if you like, is giving us some apologetics. Here's a way that we can speak to people. I think this can become kind of magnified in times of need and, and of crisis. When, when it comes home and when death isn't just a shadow, but there's substance and reality. We can talk to people. What do you think comes next? <laughs> What's going to happen when our bodies fail. My grandfather passed away when we were over in, in the U.S. We weren't able to come back, but in those few days leading up to his death, I talked to him more of Jesus than I was able to do, probably in the 10 or 15 years before it. He, he wanted to know it, but it was easy to ask, Papa, what, what do you think's coming next? And he, he wasn't a Christian. He, he didn't make any profession of faith that, that I'm aware of, but we can talk time of suffering what's coming next for those of you that have seen lord of the rings you can picture the scene in minas Tirith as well there is at gandalf and i think it's pippin maybe it's mary one of the hobbits and the, the forces of sauron are coming to attack minas Tirith. and what do they do they pause they talk about what is coming should they die in this battle when there's time of crisis when's there need we, we can come to these questions with people as we look to show them there is sure hope of salvation only in christ jesus what do you think will happen after you die? These are questions we can talk about. Everyone has a thought. Put it on a chalkboard outside the library in a CU events. People will come and write it on. Christians are not out of step having an eschatology, having a view of the end. It's the answer to that question that sets us apart. So when we ask someone what's going to happen after we die, what's going to happen at the end, and if people ask us, the question that wants to follow then is, can we be sure? How do you know? People ask us, what's going to happen at the end? Jesus is coming. How do you know? That's what Peter says this morning. That's what Peter says. And he's going to give us two things. He's going to give us two ways that we can know for sure that Jesus is coming. But before we get to those two things, I want you to notice what he does in verse 16. What does he start off by saying? Before he tells us how we know, he, he has to do something first. He says, We did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He says, We are sure, but the first thing you need to know is we did not follow myths. We did not make this up. What we claim about Jesus is not in the realm of um, once upon a time, or in a galaxy far, far away. Yes, Star Wars isn't true. We're not in that realm. We're not in fairy tales or fairy stories. Recently, we, I read with one of my sons The Secret Seven. I don't know if it was the, the first one or one of those things, but at the very start of the book in The Secret Seven, The Secret Seven all get together, and what do they have to do? They have to get the password to get into the special meeting place that they meet at the bottom of the garden. And the first, it felt like a hundred chapters were taken up with them, trying to remember the password, and two of them knew it, and two didn't, and someone, there's a password, there's a, and Peter is saying, no, that is not how this worked. That is not Christianity. The apostles didn't get together and think, we, we're just not feeling good today, we need a new religion. Let's have a virgin birth, and the Holy Spirit, and get some other things together, and a book, and put it in the mixing pot, and here we have. He, he denies it. We did not do that. 
even today in some uh, circles, in, in, in some places, particularly perhaps at, at universities, we're going to come across this post-enlightenment higher criticism, the quest for the historical Jesus. People came along, men like David Bauer, others, who said Christianity is myth. And the apostles wrote down what was true for them, but it wasn't the real Jesus. And Peter says, no, we did not make this up. And friends, I labor this point before getting to our two points because it's so important when we speak to others about Jesus. Often the conversation ends with, that's great for you if that's what you think is going to happen. But I'm good with my truth. I don't know if you've had conversations like that, that use words like that. I'm standing here, you're standing there, and that's just all okay. But that is not ground that we want to secede or, or kind of give over. That is not what's happening. I, I, I had a conversation with a guy in an Uber a few weeks ago, a few months ago. He was a great man. This is in Charlotte. And he'd grown up in this Pentecostal little church over there, very Pentecostal. He was really friendly. He's like, what are you doing? Oh, I'm, going to be, I'm trying to be a pastor. Oh, you're going to be a pastor. That's great. I was like, yeah, this is great. It's very encouraging. He said, oh, you're going to be a pastor. And, oh, and then you're going to be an elder. I was like, yeah, okay, one day I guess I do. And then he's like, oh, and then you're going to be a bishop. I was like, well, I'm not sure that I'm going that way. And then he's like, and then you're going to be an apostle. I was like, no, I, I am no, not going to be an apostle. So it was a very interesting conversation, but they'd had apostles in his church growing up, and that was, he had all these categories, but as the conversation progressed, the end of it was he had all this kind of Christian categories and Christian language, but he walked away from the church, and he just kind of said, do you know what, what you're doing, that's great for you. The way that I'm living now, that's great for me, and we're just going to leave it that way. And Peter here is putting his hand up and saying, no, that's not how it works. We're not in the realm of myth, of stories. You can like that story or not like it. You can like the Secret Seven or not. You can like Greek mythology or not. You can like Scottish fairy tales of Kelpies and unicorns or not. But that is not where we are. No, this is, as Schaefer said, true truth. This is not made up. This day is fixed, and it will impact your life, and you need to know that. No student can say to a professor, no, I'm sorry my paper was late because you had your truth about when this paper was due, and I had my truth about when this paper was due, right? That's not how it works. The professor says the date is fixed, and Jesus tells us the date is fixed. I'm coming. I'm coming. And so Peter here, I think, in verse 16, is wanting to push back against anyone who would say, that's fine for you and this is fine for me. No, Jesus is coming. And that's going to affect and impact all of uh, us. So what does Peter go on to say here? Peter goes on to say, we didn't make it up and there's two ways that we know. There's two ways that we know that in our diaries we are sure that Jesus is coming. And what does he say? He says two things. One, I saw it. And number two, the Bible tells us so. Number one, I saw it. We have the apostolic eyewitness testimony. And two, we have the scripture. So I saw it and the Bible tells us so. And those are our two points this morning going forward. That's how we know that Christ is coming. Those two things and so let's just look at the first one here. Uh, we see that particularly in verses 17 uh, and, uh, and 18. Verses 17 and 18, uh, Peter basically says, I saw it. 
What does he say? For when we received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son with whom I well please. We ourselves heard his voice born from heaven, and we were with him on the holy mountain. So what is Peter recalling there? He's recalling the transfiguration. He's recalling the transfiguration. And and this isn't Peter just saying, I'm writing to this church and I need to think of an event that I was there in Jesus' life. And he could have picked a healing or he could have picked some miracle or or anything or, oh, I'll just land on the transfiguration. No, he's very intentional. Why does he put the transfiguration in here? Well, it's because the transfiguration is all about pointing to Christ's glory and his future consummation as king. That's what's here. That, this is a glimpse of Jesus' future unveiled splendor and glory. And so what Peter saw on the mountain, as he saw Jesus there, transfigured with Moses and Elijah, was a glimpse, if you like, into the future. He sees the curtain, if you like, pulled back and, and unveiled into Christ's face, and he sees that Jesus will return. That's what this is. It's a glimpse to the future. I saw it. I saw it. We have a nice cream shop very near our house in Charlotte. Uh, and rather embarrassingly, I'm on first name terms with a guy that works there, which tells you about how much we like ice cream, I guess. But th- we go there occasionally, and sometimes they have new flavors, and, and you can ask for a little taste. I don't know if you've ever done that in an ice cream shop. I guess they kind of stopped it over COVID because they didn't want you taking little scoops. But you can ask for a little scoop. Let me, let me try it before I go and have the real thing. And and the transfiguration is a bit like that. It's a glimpse, a taster, a foretaste. Here is a sense, Peter sees Christ, a sense of what it'll be like when Christ comes. A glimpse, a taste that leaves him in no doubt that this is God's Messiah. This is Christ the King who will come in splendor. Before me now is the one who is going to finish his ministry die, be crucified, raised, and we will see him come again, transfigured in glory. And so this should encourage us immensely. This should encourage us immensely. In this world, when our faith is is attacked, which it often is, when following Christ feels weak compared with the events and powers of the world, when false teachers and those who oppose Christ are getting confident in uh, as, they, as they march against the gospel, we can be confident that Christ has revealed his glory and he's coming because of what Peter saw and is given to us here. Peter saw Christ resplendent, transfigured, and glorious. But notice not just what Peter sees, it's what he hears. Do you see that at the end of 17? The voice that he heard, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. This is the voice of the father Speaking of the Son, this is my Son. And if you remember, those are Psalm 2 words. Those are Psalm 2 words. This is what we have in Psalm 2. Do you remember Psalm 2? The nations rage against God and his anointed, and the Lord laughs and says, I've set my king on Zion's hill, and I'll tell of my decree, this is my beloved Son. And it should give us confidence, like Peter, because it points to the ultimate safety of God's people. Blessed are those who take refuge in him and the ultimate destruction of God's enemies as he breaks them with a rod of iron. This is the Psalm 2 king here that Peter sees in all his glory. So friends, take courage this night. Take courage. 
The transfiguration which Peter saw there on the mountain reminds us the king who we follow is the one who reigns. He is the one who reigns. So when you feel your faith under attack, you see pressure on your kids at school, when you have pressure on you at school to behave certain ways, to get on board with certain things, things that you know go against the gospel, the relentless propaganda of the world that's fast tearing up the Christian ethic that was in this land, take comfort. Our king is ruling and reigning, and Peter has seen that one day he will return. The king you follow tonight is that king we can have confidence that he is coming. So two pillars. One is the apostolic testimony. Let let me just underscore that for you a little bit to see how uh, all of that is is playing out. If you just look at chapter 3 with me, notice how there is an apostolic witness being built here. Chapter 3 and verse 2. He says to them, You should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandments of our Lord and Saviour, through your, uh, through your apostles. Do you see that? Peter there is talking about the Old Testament and the New Testament. There is, is God's word for us. Right at the end of chapter 3 as well, we can see Peter speaking of Paul and speaking of Paul's message that we have uh, as scripture. Verse 15, And count it patience of our Lord and Saviour, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote according to the wisdom given him as he does in all his letters when he speaks about these matters. There are some things in them that are hard to understand, which are ignorant and unstable and twist through their own destruction as they do the other scriptures. And so what Peter is saying to us, look, I saw it. You have it here in his word. The apostle's word is sure. We can trust it. How do we know Jesus is coming again? Peter says, I saw it. I saw it. Secondly, then, what's the second thing he says? He says, we know Jesus is coming again because the scriptures have told us. The scriptures have told us. Look there in verse 19. And we have the prophetic word. Speaking of the Bible, his Bible, we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed, which you would do well to pay attention to. That's what he's saying. The, the, the transfiguration confirms what we actually already know from the prophets, that the king is coming to make all things new. It's God's stamp of approval. We're sure because it's in the Bible. I don't know if any of you sung this song or had it sung to you growing up. We maybe don't often sing it in church now. I'm not sure about here. We, we see it as a, a children's song, but Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Well, what Peter's saying here is Jesus, lo- uh, Jesus is coming again, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. That's what he's doing time and time again. Peter's appealing to Scripture. We know because it's in the Bible. Peter is writing uh, all these things to give us assurance of what we have in God's Word. It's Bible, Bible, Bible. And so our highest authority is the Scriptures. Look at the life of Jesus time and time again. What does Jesus appeal to in his ministry? It is written, it is written, it is written. That's what Christ does, always pointing us to the Scriptures, always pointing us to the Bible. That's how we know it's written in the Bible. So then he gives us two answers. As we want to underpin, well, the question becomes, why can we trust the Bible? This date is fixed. The apostles saw it. We know it's in the Bible, but how can we trust it? And he goes on to give us more. He goes on to tell us, here's why we can trust it. But before he does that, though, he tells us what we're to do. So he says that we have the more prophetic word, more fully confirmed. And he says, what are you to do with it? He says, pay attention. 
you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place. He's saying, pay attention. That's what he wants us to do. We're to listen to the Bible. And do you know that the the world is asking us that question every single day? Every single day you are being asked that question, do you trust the Bible? Are you paying attention to it? Now, maybe unless you were at a Christian Union event recently or something with Scripture Union, you're maybe thinking, I I don't remember the last time I was asked if I trust the Bible. But we are. Every day we're put on the spot in different ways. Do we trust the Bible? When we're asked if we really want to stand up for marriage between only one man and one woman, and do we really believe that any sexual activity outside of that is a sin and offense against God, we're being asked, do we trust the Bible? Do we trust what it teaches us? When the world asks us if we really want to make, uh, really want to stand on the fact that, that God teaches that we're made male and female after his image and those things are immutable, people are asking us, do we trust the Bible? For that is what our answer rests on. When the world asks us, is our allegiance really to Christ as king? They're asking us, do we trust the Bible? Do we believe it? Are we paying attention to it? For it says Christ alone is Lord. We are being asked a hundred different ways every day, do we trust the Bible? It was the question back in the garden, wasn't it? Did Adam and Eve trust God's word? (laughs) Do we trust God's word? At the end of the day, we need to trust some authority. We need to point to something, to somewhere. In our day, most people want to point or appeal to the authority that's inside herself. If it feels good, it must be true. That's the real me. And Peter says, we need and have something so much more sure. Pay attention to the word of God. And friends, the health of the church is largely dependent on this question. Do we trust the Bible and are we paying attention to it? And how much we're leading into it? Any great age of reformation and revival is sparked by what? Prayer and utter devotion to God's word. I was reading on the plane over yesterday about some of the great revivals under men like well, Jonathan Edwards, the Wesleys, uh, George Whitfield uh, in, in England, in New England, in America. And what are people leaning into in these great times of revival? Prayer, conviction of sin, and the word. They're leaning into the word. Look at the Reformation under Luther and Calvin in the 16th century. Look at McShane's ministry or William Chambers Burns and Dundee. The word, the word, the word. It's why Scotland, in its spiritual heyday, this country was known as the land of the book. And we need it again if we want to see revival and gospel change. Do we trust the Bible? That's what we're really being asked every day. Are we standing fast on God's word? Are we paying paying attention to it as a lamp shining in a dark place? And if we do, if we trust the Bible and we know that Christ is revealed to us here, we'll find that the words of the psalmist that we read earlier will be ours. For the word is life-giving, isn't it? He delights in the law. He loves God's word. It's life-giving. One of the most precious foods that we have in North North Carolina that I love in the summer is watermelon. When it gets really hot and it's 35 degrees every day and you're just constantly thirsty and you eat some watermelon, it just feels like life in your mouth and... That is God's word for us. That is what God wants his word to be as we lean into it and trust it and know that it's life-giving. So he says, pay attention to it. We have a sure word. And ultimately we know that it's sure. Why? Because God wrote it. That's what we have in verse 20 and 21. We can trust it because it's God's word. Knowing this, first of all, no prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. 
For no prophecy was produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. The Bible did not come to us by mechanical dictation, which is something like what Muslims would believe about the Quran. The Bible didn't come to us that way. It wasn't as though the apostles sat in a room someday and got some parchment and a fresh biro pen and said, okay, God, we're ready. Can, can you just start now? I'm, I'm ready. I'm sorry, God, I missed that, God. Can you say it again? Or oh, I forgot to say that. I was on a Word doc, not a Google doc. Or it, it wasn't like that. That is not how the Word came to us. The Word did not come to us by the apostles getting in a trance. They, they didn't just need to turn the music up and kind of get in the zone like we do when we've got a really difficult piece of work that's sitting in front of us or how you prepare for an exam. Yes, men wrote it. It's a very human book. But verse 21, they were carried along by the Spirit. Think about wind blowing into sails of a, of a boat or a ship. God blows and, and carries the men along as they write. God blew and spoke and filled the sails of these men, if you like. And God's word was written. No prophecy was produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God. This is God speaking. This is God's word. He speaks to us. Friends, I hope you know that this evening, that the church did not give us the word. It is the other way around. It's the word that established the church. This church just received the word that God had for us and to us. I hope we know that this evening. Our highest authority is in the word. That is why Sunday by Sunday, morning and evening will David, they open the word at truth, at student suppers, at all our various activities in Sunday school. Once, uh, time and time again, we come to the word for there is no higher authority. It is God himself speaking. That is what Peter is telling us. This is God speaking. So let me finish with that question. Do you believe that God speaks today? Do you believe that God speaks today? I heard a minister uh, a few uh, weeks ago in in another church in another part of of this country, and as he stood up, he lamented that God doesn't speak today. He said there was no dreams, no visions, and so God was not speaking. But he said this with a Bible open in front of him. Words that were not produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Spirit. And he said this, ironically, in a context where men and decisions all around him were being taken that sidelined God's word. No, God is speaking. We have his word. The question for all of us, for me, is are we listening? Are you listening? Is our nation listening? Friends, for those of you this evening who are grieving, many of us are here, I know, that have had loss and grief recently. Friends, turn again, turn again and again to the scriptures. There is comfort there for God by his spirit speaks here. It's why we pray before we read God's word. It's why we sing, speak, O Lord. We need God to speak. For those of you who are tired, weary, I'm home with the kids every day, I'm exhausted. I don't just need help for the day. I don't know how I'm going to get through the next hour. My colleagues are tough, they're difficult, they're awkward. My boss, my employees, things are hard. Turn again and again to the scriptures. There God will meet you. For those stuck in habitual patterns of sin, I just can't break the urge 
to speak this way or to think this thing or to, to watch or to click here or whatever it is. Turn to the scriptures. Keep turning there. God is speaking in his word. For those that know that heaven is close or we know those for whom heaven feels close, the shadow of death is being pulled around them in a veil. Keep going to the scriptures. Have them read to you. Read them and you will hear the voice of the one whom you will soon see face to face. For all of us, we have God's sure word. We have God's sure word. That's what Peter's saying to them. We know Jesus is coming because we didn't follow myths. I saw it. And this is God's word from God for his people. Keep listening to it and trust it. For all of us, we have God's sure word he's given us. So as we look at our eschatological diaries, our diaries with this day of Jesus' return, in them we have confidence that Jesus will come because he's told us. God has told us. That's what we say to people. That's what we remind ourselves of. God has spoken and we have sure hope of that. Jesus loves me. This I know for the Bible tells me so. It's a beautiful, simple truth. And this evening we're reminded Jesus is coming. This I know for the Bible tells me so. Amen.